Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you would like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Would you pray with me? O oh, great light of the world, without you life is full of uncertainty and fear. Would your steadfast hand hold our trembling hearts? O oh, great light of the world, without you, life is full of confusion. Would you open your word and illuminate your truth? O oh, great light of the world, vanquish the darkness and lead us deep into your marvelous light. Amen. A few weeks ago, I got to take our nine-year-old little girl, honey, with me on a trip to Wisconsin. The trip started off um, a little unexpectedly. We um, got to the Greensboro Airport in plenty of time, but had a three-hour delay due to mechanical failures. Um, we barely made it to our uh, layover flight in um, Detroit, our connecting flight in Detroit. We got to D- Detroit. We got on the plane just in time, and then we sat on the plane for two and a half hours on the tarmac because as we're getting ready to take off, the flight attendant realizes that someone on the previous flight has taken the plastic covering of the exit sign um, where the exit door is on the plane and stolen it as a uh, souvenir from their flight. And so we were not allowed to leave even though we didn't really need one. And so we sat there for two and a half hours. I was trying to kill time, and so I like take out my phone, and we were exploring the new Instagram filter- filters and, um, and Instagram stories. And so I'm like, hey, let's take a picture, honey. And, and we like take a picture, and then I look at it on my phone like most of us do when we take pictures on Instagram. And I'm like, I don't really like that one. Let's take a different one. You know, and so I like held it up a little higher trying to get rid of the double chin, you know, and then I took another one. And then I looked at it, and I'm like, hey, let's take one more. And I finally did like the real high angle, you know, stretching it out, you know, because I haven't really been doing my competition with uh, Reverend Hawkins yet. Um, July 1st deadline, that's a long way away. I'm just going cucumbers in June. Um, and so I'm just holding it up, you know, taking this picture of myself, trying to, to make myself appear skinnier than I am. And you laugh at me, but, but my guess is many of you have done the same thing, you know, and retaken a picture that you're going to post. Why is it that we try so hard to hide our flaws? This week I uh, ran into an elderly friend that I hadn't seen in probably four months and uh, we were talking and catching up, and then I just caught him staring at me. And, uh, and he just looked at me, and he said, Drew, the lines on your face tell me that your soul is very tired. And, um, you know, there was no Instagram filter that I could hide behind um, because he had seen the truth in me. So last night I was um, finishing up getting ready for my sermon, and I just told Natalie, I was like, I just don't really want to preach tomorrow. I was like, you know, I've been here nine years. I've never called in sick once. Did you think I could just get out of this one? Ask Alan to pinch hit. You know, he's got some old ones he'd pull out of a file somewhere. He, he, could, he, could, he could do this. I was like, I just don't, I don't want to fake it. You know, I don't feel like I have much in my tank to pour out. I just felt too tired, and so she hugged me, brought me some grilled cheese in bed, and uh and then I reread this passage that I'm preaching on this morning from 2 Corinthians 5. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 5 just jumped off the page for me like a cup of cold water. And we read it just a moment ago. But Paul writes, for what we preach is not ourselves, but we preach Christ as Lord. And it felt like a weight was just lifted off of me. And I remembered that it wasn't my job to show you the edited version of Drew this morning, but my job is to show you the unedited, ver- unedited version of Jesus. And that we get to 
We get to not have to worry about bringing ourselves when we come to the Lord's table. We don't have to bring any show. We don't have to put on any mask. We don't have to put on any filter. We get to come and Christ receives us because of him and because of his grace. And so I quickly rewrote a lot of my sermon, and here we are today. Um, So maybe you feel like you're showing up this morning and you got some lines on your face telling the same story that my face is telling, that you're exhausted and that you don't have much to give. And the good news is that our hope is not found in what we see in a mirror, but our hope is found in Jesus, the human face of God. When all else seems to be falling apart, he is our only hope and our only treasure. And we just read that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, all about this treasure. He said that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and it's not from us. And often our bodies, they feel like these fragile clay pots, these earthen vessels, these broken jars of clay. And we try as hard as we can to keep them young for as long as we can. But clearly our trajectory is towards fragility, and we are falling apart. Within these earthen vessels, though, we have this incredible, all-surpassing power. Paul writes in the book of Colossians, and he calls this treasure, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the treasure that we get to have. And here in 2 Corinthians Paul is using these phrases as he describes what this treasure feels like to to stir up these images that the original audience in Corinth would have associated with the Corinth Games. You know, it's similar to our Olympic Games now every four years. Back then, they had these Corinth Games every five years, and there was a lot of racing and wrestling and gladiator kind of things, and the original audience would have understood this language that he's using in the Greek to towards these wrestling and running terms. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. So Paul's painting this picture of this wrestler that's being trapped in a hole that he can't get out of. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you are stuck in an addiction that you cannot get out of, or that you are imprisoned by your circumstances, Paul is speaking to you. And he's experienced the same thing. He's been stuck in prison himself, actual imprisonment. And he's crying out to the church in Corinth and the church of the Redeemer. And he's saying, don't despair, don't give up hope. He writes, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You know, this image of a fighter struck down on a mat reminds me of one of my all-time favorite movie series, the Rocky films. Any Rocky fans in here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few years ago, they kind of re-released... The, the Rocky films in, uh, in this new series called Creed. Anybody seen Creed or Creed 2? So good. Love them, love them, love them. Well, I went to see the movie, you know, Creed when it first came out. I took some of my high school guy friends and, you know, it's one of those movies that you just, you're out of your seat just yelling the whole time at the screen and, and nobody's looking at you weird because they're doing it with you, you know, and they're just fired up. And if you're not familiar, Creed is the son of Apollo Creed. And Apollo Creed was Rocky's like main opponent who later became his trainer and good friend. And so they reinvented this series with Apollo Creed's son, Adonis. And Adonis is fighting in this movie. And in the climax of the movie, the end, when everything, everybody's just biting your nails and you're trying to figure out what's going on, Adonis is fighting the reigning champ, Ricky Conlon. And towards the end of the fight, Adonis just gets hammered with his huge right hook and blood just flies out of his mouth. And he falls down on the mat, and he lays there breathless, and the film goes completely silent. And Ricky Conlon climbs up on the corner of the ring, and he raises up his arms, and he begins to celebrate his impending victory. And lying on that canvas, in this moment of seeming defeat, Creed starts to see these pictures in his head 
and they flash onto the movie screen. And you see pictures of his relationship with his mom and his relationship with his girlfriend and his coach, but he still remains lifeless on the mat. But then this old video montage starts playing, and it's pictures of his dad, of his dad Apollo fighting. And Adonis sees Apollo in his head, and when he's laying on his face, he pictures his father. And then the Rocky theme song begins to play. And all of a sudden, you know, he catches his breath, you know, and wakes up to finish the fight, and we all get goosebumps, you know, just thinking about this amazing, beautiful picture. And it's the same picture that Paul is writing about to the church of Corinth. He's saying in those moments when you're hard-pressed on every side, when you've been pummeled by your past and the world reminds you of your faults and your failures, play this old footage in your head. When it feels like you are dying on the cross, play the footage of the empty tomb. When you're lying on the mat, picture the face of Jesus. In this next verse, Paul writes, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. So how is the life of Jesus revealed in us? How is it revealed in our bodies? Paul has answered that in the previous chapter in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 18. Paul answers this. He says, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to face the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Now, that is beautiful writing. I love the translation, but it's still kind of hard to understand, well, what is he actually saying? Whenever that happens to me, I always go to Eugene Peterson and say, hey, translate this for me. And I open up the message, and here's what Eugene translated it as. He said, whenever they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are, face to face with God. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence. He's not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, there is nothing between us and God. Our faces shine with the brightness of his face. And so, much like the Messiah, we too are transfigured. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our life, and we become like him. When we get face-to-face with Jesus, we reflect the glory of God. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You might recognize his reference here to Genesis 1-3 in creation. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he calls light to shine out of the darkness. And Paul is saying the same God who created light in the physical world can fill your soul with a spiritual light. But how? Paul is saying that the light of God's glory is displayed where? In the face of Christ. The glory of God is seen in the epiphany, in the appearing of Jesus. The glory of the Father is displayed through the Son. In John 14, 9, Jesus agrees with what Paul's saying. He's he's saying, I am God. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. When he's praying the high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prayed for us. He said, Father, I pray that they would see your glory, the glory of the Father. Where? That they may behold the glory which you have given me. If we want to experience that resurrection life, If we want the life of Christ to be revealed in our weary bodies, our only hope is to get face-to-face with Jesus. So where are you looking for life? What are you getting face-to-face with? What mirror are you looking in to bring you that satisfaction? Is it working for you? 
Or is it only leading to more weariness? What we need is simply to see Jesus. Yet we often look every other place first. Remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He said, when we are face to face with Jesus, our faces will shine with the brightness of his face, with the glory of God. So in light of that, I'd love to do something a little different in, um, in this next part of my sermon. And I'd love to help us try to get face to face with Jesus. And I'm, cause I'm convinced that if we could just see Jesus as he really is, then we couldn't help but fall in love with him and follow him and want to be with him and reflect his glory. And that our longings would be transformed by that glory. But how do we do that? How do we get face to face with Jesus? You know, the more I think about this, the more I think about how many things I run to and look to to bring me that life and that satisfaction and to take away that weariness. But I love looking at the person of Christ through the Gospels. And my favorite Gospel to read is the Gospel of John. You know, the Gospel of John was written by the apostle who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's really more of a love story than a documentary. You know, some of the other recordings of the Gospels are recorded by people who, you know, care a lot about these details and record all these things. But, but John really writes about this love relationship with Jesus. And he reveals to us, I think, this, the best picture of what Jesus really looks like. And if we can see Jesus for who he truly is, if we can come face to face with him, then we are going to reflect the glory of God. But I know it's easy in our culture to pick up our phones before we pick up our scripture. I know it's easy in our culture to look to everything else. And so would you do me the favor of just indulging me and allow me to walk through a little bit of the gospel of John and try to bring us face to face with Jesus? You know, I know for many of us, these are stories that we've heard many times and we've become jaded to them and we feel like, yeah, we, we know them. But imagine if you'd never heard these stories before. Imagine if you had never heard of Jesus, and then you get to read these accounts that his closest friends wrote and used to describe him. Imagine how amazing and incredible you would think he was if you weren't jaded to this old true love story. In John chapter 1, the apostle John begins and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in John 1.14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us that he moved into our world. He says, if you wanna know what God is like, if you wanna see the face of God, look at the face of Christ. Jesus is God. And in John 14, he said, God loved us so much that he wanted to be with us that he moved into our world. And then John says in, in verse 38, he records the story of Jesus walking and some people starting to follow him. And it says, Jesus turned and saw these guys following him. And he said, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you going? Where are you staying? And he said, hey, come, come and see. If you're here this morning and you are not sure what you think about Jesus, know that he is not going to force himself on you. He is not going to make you follow him, but he is going to invite you to follow him. That's the kind of God that we're talking about. That is the face of God, a God who does not force himself on us, but invites us into this relationship with him. Then in John chapter 2, who can tell me what happened? What was the first miracle recorded? Some water to wine. That's right, water to wine. We see in verse 2, Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. People longed to be with Jesus. They invited him to their parties. They invited him to go fishing with them. They loved being with him. Jesus was someone that people wanted to be around. He didn't make them feel guilty. He made them feel cherished and loved. And so these folks invited him to their party. 
But at the party, the wine runs out. If you're here this morning and you're somebody who is struggling with addictions, somebody who's struggling with running to worldly things to try to feel those needs that you have, to try to numb the pain that you have, know that the wine will run out for you. But when it runs out, Jesus himself makes the best wine that never runs out. He makes more than we need. He is God himself. In John chapter 6, does anybody know what miracle happened? Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus was unpredictable, yet he was always reliable. If you're feeling helpless this morning, if you're feeling financially desperate, know that he is a God who abundantly provides often in such unexpected ways, just like he did when he fed the 5,000. One of my favorite things about that story is that he made more than they needed. He made more than they needed. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. God is a God who longs to love us abundantly and love us with leftovers. In John 8, who did Jesus encounter? The woman who was called in adultery. If you're someone who's been carrying around this heavy load of shame, if you've been caught in sin, know that unlike the world, Jesus doesn't shake his finger at you saying shame on you. But he says what he said to the adulterous woman in John 8, verse 10. Woman, where are all those that had stones that were condemning you? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't say shame on you. He says, I don't condemn you. And then he says, I want to free you from carrying this heavy burden of your sin. I want you to walk freely and lightly. That's the kind of God we have. Not a God who condemns us, but one who takes our condemnation on the cross. Not a God who casts stones at us, but one who receives those stones. Not a God who allows us to continue in our sin, but one who invites us into freedom. In John chapter 11, The shortest verse in the Bible is recorded. What is it? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's Jesus weeping over who? His friend Lazarus. If you're someone here this morning who has experienced deep loss and deep pain, Jesus knows what that feels like. He has gone through that pain, and he walks through it with you. He feels your very pain. He is a compassionate God who weeps with us. In John 19, Jesus is crucified on the cross. And we get this gruesome picture of what crucifixion looks like in John's gospel. And it's ugly. And why did he die in such an ugly way? Because our sin is so ugly that it demanded such a gruesome death. If you're someone here today who is experiencing this deep guilt and feeling like there's no hope of freedom for you, know that Jesus paid for your darkest sins in the most gruesome way. And that his last words declared your very freedom when he said, it is finished. But if you flip over to John 20, John 19 isn't the end. Jesus isn't on the cross. In John chapter 20, Jesus is resurrected from the grave. If you feel like you're here this morning and you just feel dead, you feel like you got no hope, you feel like you cannot get over this hump, that you're just kind of sinking in despair, know that Jesus makes all things new. That he is a God who has defeated death and he came as a resurrected king. And then in John 21, the last chapter, Jesus is on the shore, and he's cooking fish on the beach on a bonfire. 
I mean, that's the kind of God that I want to hang out with. You know, and, and, he, and he sees his disciples in the ship, and they come up on the shore. And then he invites them with this one word, with one phrase in verse 12. He said, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast with me. Who was he inviting? The very ones who had betrayed him and denied him. He was interacting with Simon Peter, the one who had denied him three times before the rooster crowed. If you're here this morning and you feel like, man, there's no way that God wants to be with me and spend time with me and even look at me, know that for his last meal, he spent it with someone who had denied him. And he longed to be with him. He longed to look at him. And his invitation was to come have breakfast with me. The glory of God is displayed in the face of Jesus. So when we're laying on our mat in defeat, when we feel persecuted and struck down, our response has to be to look at the human face of God. How do we do that? Well, we begin by confessing. In a moment, we're going to have a chance to get on our knees and confess. This morning, would you say, God, I confess that I have looked to other things to bring me satisfaction, to bring me glory. God, I want to reflect your glory. Would you forgive me for looking to other things? Would you draw my eyes to the face of Christ so that I can know what you are like? You know, in our culture where it's easy to carry your Bible on your phone, it's much less likely that we're carrying these things around anymore. It's much easier to just kind of say, oh, I'm going to read a few verses on my phone, and then we get a notification, we get distracted. Let's be a church that carries around God's holy word, that opens up these old stories, that reads them to our kids, that reads them to one another, that knows them so well that we can tell people of the goodness and glory of God because there is no one like him. There is no one who will love anyone in our world like Jesus. Jesus is the greatest, the most glorious person that has ever lived. He shows us what God is like. Let's be a church that knows these stories because they are true and they change us. They change us as we look into the face of God. If you're willing, I'd love for you to close your eyes for a moment. I'd love for you to try to imagine the face of Christ looking at you right now? What do his eyes say to you? You are not condemned. I weep with you. I came to heal you. You are forgiven. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Come, have breakfast with me. I long to be with you. God, give us humility to confess where we have looked to other things for our own glory. Lord, give us a hunger to look to you and only you. And that as we see your face through the person of Jesus in scripture and one another and even at the table today as we partake of the supper you've given us, your broken body and your shed blood for us, may we be transformed. May we be people who reflect the glory of God, a church captivated by the face of Christ. Amen.